So as we uh, move into April, I just want to um, put some thoughts in your mind about wonderful events coming up. Put it on your calendar. Uh, Good Friday. We mentioned it last a Sunday, we uh, as a church, the Church of the Ojai Valley, we're gathering at Libby Bowl for Good Friday service. How many of you have ever had a chance to join us out there? Okay, uh, you know, because of the pandemic, uh, you know, that was put on hold for a couple of years. If you haven't, uh, there's, a, there's a couple, two main sort of themes, hearts for us as the pastors. Several churches, the pastors met a couple weeks ago and we're excited about it. Uh, two words come to mind for the Good Friday service. Not, not only just celebrating, you know, what it signifies biblically and what Jesus did for us, but is the church of the Ojai Valley, there's unity and there's testimony, okay? And there is something special that happens when the church of the Ojai Valley gathers uh, at Libby Bowl for Good Friday. So I want to encourage you, you know, it's, I know it's Friday and maybe, you know, you have to rearrange your schedule, but if you can make it, uh, it is going to be a wonderful gathering of the church of Ojai Valley as we celebrate uh, Good Friday and what that means for us, okay? Okay. Uh, Traditionally, in years past, our church, The Well, we have uh, participated in setting up communion, and we are going to do that again. So if you would like to actively participate, you can talk to Pastor Tyler. What does that require? You get there early. We set up tables. We're going to set up the little cups and you know, all of that. Uh, also, during communion, sometimes people can't make it down to the front to pick it up, so they'll raise their hand, and we'll have runners and bring it up to them. So lots of ways to participate if you want to um, volunteer. Help us with that, okay? Uh, And then two days later, what happens? Easter, Easter, right? Resurrection Sunday. So we're going to have, again, a wonderful Easter egg celebration. It's not just for the kids. We want to invite the whole church family. We did this uh, a while back, and we opened up the patio. We'll have refreshments out there. We encourage all the entire church family just to come on out. Uh, I think they mentioned we're going to have a huge jolly jump out there for the kids. And uh, just an opportunity, again, For us to unite and celebrate the resurrection, but also it's a testimony to the community that's going by that there is life here, that there's joy in Jesus, and that uh, many people still celebrate the resurrection. Amen? Okay, so we're going to do that. If you'd like to donate and actively participate and bless the kids here, uh, Kim is, uh, you know, open to what they call pre-filled egg donations. You know, I grew up and they were like the empty plastics, right? How many remember the empty plastics? How many ever got money? Yeah, right? Versus the chocolate, right? So it's funny, years, uh, just uh, not too long ago, we went down to San Diego, you know, and my, my brother and sisters, we're all grown up, but we still do an Easter egg hunt. And we still wait for, for mom to fill it with the quarters and the dollars. And so we're still wrestling. Uh, but we would like, if you would like to participate, there's pre-filled eggs that you can purchase and uh, donate them to Kingdom Kids. Okay? And then uh, finally, we don't have a Spanish service. But, you know, we are called to make disciples uh, wherever we go. And uh, we know that there's a significant uh, Spanish-speaking population in the Ojai Valley. And so what we have done on our webpage is we have a Spanish resource page now. Okay, so you go to uh, web, the homepage, you go on resources, you'll see, you'll see it there. And then if you click on that, it's really cool. Uh, there's a link to a Spanish Bible, okay? There's also a link to, if you know the website, gotquestions.org. They have an entire Spanish section. So if if someone speaks Spanish and they have questions about God and the Bible, they can do that. And then there's also a link on there to uh, Spanish uh, videos by the Bible Project. So just another tool uh, for us to get God's word out into the valley. And wouldn't it be cool if people came to know Jesus because they went through a Spanish 
resource page on our website, right? Okay, so I just want to encourage you, uh, put that out there. Just put that out there and invite people at their leisure to, to go check it out. I uh, came across this quote that I think really helps launch us into um, what we're going to talk about today. Warren Wiersbe says this, We have little control over the circumstances of life. We can't control the weather or the economy, and we can't control what other people say about or do to us. There is only one area where we have control. We can rule the kingdom inside. The heart of every problem is the problem of the heart. And we've been moving forward this Lenten season with the theme of hope, biblical hope, right? And biblical hope is confidence, confidence that should create joy, rejoicing in us, right? The world says hope is wishful thinking, finger crossing. Biblical hope is a living hope based on the resurrection of Jesus. So we should have confidence, certainty, and there should be a consistent measure of joy in our life. Amen? Right? And we've looked at that. We launched a few weeks back, and now we sort of have been focusing on, well, okay, how, do, how, do, how does biblical hope and worry and anxiety, how do those two, you know, coexist on this planet? When Jesus says we'll have trials and tribulations, okay? And I want to keep moving forward. The, the title of the series, or it's part two, and it's, it's called Walking on Worry. And a few weeks back, we looked at Peter walking on water. And I thought, you know what? My prayer for us as we understand uh, how to biblically respond, because it is a choice to the cares and concerns of the world, that literally you and I can choose in the power of the Holy Spirit to walk on worry, right? Because oftentimes, you know, in the natural, you see water. What do humans do when they try to walk on water? They sink, right? And so for many of us, we sort of maybe have grown up where we are, you know, drowning in a sea of worry. We feel like we're drowning, we're treading water in a sea of worry and anxiety, right? And my prayer for us, especially as we look through Matthew 6 today, is that you would leave here knowing that you can choose literally supernaturally to walk on worry. It doesn't mean the waves of life and the waves of worry may, may not stir up and you may be feeling like the wind's howling against you, but you know what? You can choose to focus on Jesus. You can choose to faithfully walk in the spirit in faith and obedience. And you know what? By golly, supernaturally, you can walk on worry. Sound good? Right? So that's what, we're, that's what we want to really focus on. Proverbs 4.23 says this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Kind of going back to the quote by Warren Wiersbe. So worry, if we, if we, the, the heart and the focus today is for us to, to see worry not circumstantially, okay? If I say, hey, what are you worried about? Hey, where do you worry about? You know, what's worrying you? What's causing anxiety? Most of us will give the list of circumstances, of external things that have happened to us and have created worry and anxiety. And really, the heart, if you're going to understand Matthew 6 and what Jesus is trying to teach us and how to respond to worry, it's an issue of the heart. Because he's speaking to believers He's speaking to followers, his disciples, and he's, the heart of it is, hey, you are my disciples. Or in 2022, hey, you are the church. You are God's children. The world will deal with the things of the world in a certain way, but you, church, this is how we should deal with it in 2022. So it's an issue of the heart, meaning it's an issue of relationship. 
It's an issue of your relationship with Abba, with Father, and whether or not we are choosing as children of God to move out of these doors in a few minutes or whatever you're going to do the rest of the day and into the week, are you going to choose to move forward into the realities of our world in relationship with Father, priority and preeminent, or are we going to be reactive and self-reliant like the world? So that's what we're saying is that Matthew 6 is really a heart issue. It's a relational issue. And so I want to read it. It's a familiar passage. And then we're going to come back and actually uh, today we're going to walk through it. So Matthew 6, Jesus has just spoken about the heart. He says, hey, don't store up your treasures on, on earth. Store it up in heaven. You can't serve God in money. Okay, that's the context. And then he goes into Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I really like uh, in verse 25 in the Amplified Version, it says this. Therefore, I tell you, stop being perpetually uneasy about your life. Stop being perpetually uneasy about your life. Wow. You know, it, it's interesting. Again, as I, as I just think of that translation, I'm like, man, I think there's a part of me that I was raised even trying to be positively motivated to get ahead and to go to college and to get a good job, yada, yada, where I was actually motivated because I was perpetually uneasy about my life, about my future, about income and retirement. And so we, we, like we talked about last Sunday, worry and anxiety, the, the irony of it is that they can be great drivers and motivators, but you're motivated out of fear and anxiety and everything we talked about last Sunday. And, I, and that's why this really stopped me. Stop being perpetually uneasy about your life. How many of you would say, Lord, I want that? Like, like right now. Like right now. In the power of the Holy Spirit, you can choose right now. It's 1044, March 27, 22. Right now, for the next five seconds, you can choose literally to stop being perpetually uneasy. weird, huh? Isn't it? Right now. Are you good right now? Right, just right now. Are you good? Are you good? 
right now, right? We're good. It's funny, some of you are just smiling involuntarily right now. I don't know what you brought in, but the minute I said, are you good right now? You said, I am. Right? And that's what we're going to talk about. How do, we, how do we carry that out to become the supernatural normal? Okay? Instead of being perpetually uneasy about our life. And so to help you, I know some of you take notes. We're going to look at some what we could letters, words that begin with P, P words. Just kind of, you know, some of you like those kinds of things. And, and so the first word is perspective. And what Jesus does in this passage is that he asks some questions. And if you look through the gospels, Jesus, the way he revealed people's hearts, he generally asked questions. And he let people by their response kind of expose themselves, right? So he does this on the first part of this passage. And the first P word is perspective. And his first question is this. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Okay, last week we understood that one of the audience, one segment of the audience he was speaking to were fishermen, farmers, people who were just getting by, depending on the harvest and the rains. So they, there was a, a segment of his audience who was listening to this that literally lived day to day. And he was telling them, hey, do not worry. Do not be anxious. You who are living paycheck to paycheck. You who are just getting by. You who need to catch a fish to eat. You who need rain so you can harvest. He's telling that group, hey, don't worry. Says it three times. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. He says it three times this, right? But what's interesting is in Luke 12, he actually addresses Another demographic, another people who are actually probably listening, but it was the other side. And I think this is, this is the group that many of us will relate to. That probably the majority of us here and listening, living in the United States, especially in Ojai, certain level of affluence will relate to this particular group, right? Because he says, hey, you know what? Don't worry don't worry, don't worry if you're living day to day or if you made it good. Okay, because oftentimes we, we, we attribute worry and anxiety with worst case scenarios. Some people call it catastrophizing, right? So we think worst case scenario, worst case scenario, oh, I don't want this to happen. So I get caught up in worry and anxiety about worst case scenarios. Actually, in Luke 12 and into the same passage, Jesus says, hey, you know what? Those of you who have experienced best case scenario in your life, who are affluent, who are comfortable, who live in Ojai, worry and anxiety, just a big deal, as big a deal to you. Okay? And it's, just, it's the same heart issue. It's the same heart issue. Proverbs 30. Oh God, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me never to tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. Right? But in our culture, we are raised for more and more and more. Right? 
And he's calling us to live in daily dependence, daily hope, daily confidence in him, daily joy. And our challenge isn't just that, oh no, I don't know if I'm going to get enough to make it. It's like, who needs God? I'm good. It's a heart issue. And both of them can cause worry and anxiety. Right? And, and so I want to encourage you to really kind of be willing, especially if you're on this end, to let the Holy Spirit speak to you about worry and anxiety from a place of affluence. And if you're wondering if you're affluent, let me help you out with some perspective. Okay? This was a, a study done back in 2018 by Go Banking Rates. And they looked at the average per capita income in 30 countries around the world in 2018. The average per capita income worldwide, $10,298. Makes a lot of us pretty wealthy in perspective. In their study, uh, Burundi, average per capita, $280. The highest was Norway. 82,230. The U.S. was middle, 56,180, average per capita. It's perspective, isn't it? There's a lot of perspective in that. And so sometimes we think of this passage about worry as those who are living paycheck to paycheck when really the heart issue is, Lord, what do I do with abundance? How do I live without worrying about tomorrow, and I'm actually being driven by trying to maintain everything I own, right? The American dream. And so in Luke 12, here's how he sets up this worry passage. He says this in Luke 12, 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who'd made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care. And be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. How many of you are old enough to remember the bumper sticker that said, he who has the most toys wins? American dream, right? Big one back in the 80s and 90s. Just You got the most toys, you win, right? And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, hmm, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You know why this is so challenging for us? Because this guy did it right. This guy did it right. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. So he, he did his homework. He knew how to till it. He did everything right. He got the harvest. He got the cash. Isn't that the American dream? Isn't that what we were raised to do? Get there, get to where we can all say, relax, eat, drink, be merry. Isn't that what we, I know that's for me, right? It's called the retirement plan. It's called, you know, 
You get there, you get to your 20s, you get that 20-year, 30-year career, you get the gold watch or the whatever they do to send you on your way, and then you what? You got your 401k, your pension plan, and what do you do? Relax, eat, drink, be merry, go on the cruise, play pickleball, whatever you're going to do, right? That's what's so challenging about this for us and why it might even make us uncomfortable because you're in like, is that wrong? Is that wrong to make money and to want to provide for my family? Absolutely not. Because it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. I have some very successful businessmen, believer brothers in Christ down in San Diego. They've made a lot of money over the time. And you know what they do with it? They give it away to God's kingdom. It's all God's. They've been gifted, business mind. They've been gifted. They're good stewards of it. They know their business. Proof is in the pudding. They get the income, but they're not hoarding it. Right? They're giving it away. They serve the kingdom with their money. Right? And so, right off the bat, there's a challenge with this because, at least, you know, again, sharing my own story, I was raised to be this guy. I was raised to be this guy. And, and it's interesting, in verse 15, he says, Then he said to them, Watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. I thought it did. I thought it was home ownership. You know, I, I, I thought it was. I thought, you know, in my era, you made it if you were no longer a renter and you could buy your own home. As a man, I struggle with that. I've shared with some of you, you know, going into ministry, especially youth ministry, you don't do it for the money. And so, you know, one of the things that I had to really wrestle with for years and years was letting go of home ownership as some sort of marker that I made it or didn't make it. But it was so deeply ingrained in me, the American dream, right? Abundance. Got to own a home. Got to get the car to match your status. Got to dress a certain way, right? And again, it's not necessarily, you know, saying you're this evil, wicked person with evil intent. It's just the way we're raised. You know, it's interesting in verse 18, you know, uh, he says, I will tear down my barns and build large. I will store my grain. What, what, it's all about what? Me. I, I, I. My, my, my. Right? It's interesting. <laughs> I thought this is, I have nowhere to store my crops. I will do this, tear down my barns and build large ones. I'm like, I shared with some, some guys last week. You know what? If I had known better back in probably the 80s or 90s, you know what business I should have gone into? The storage garage unit. Isn't that this? I have nowhere to store my bicycles. I have nowhere to store. So I'm going to pay somebody monthly. I mean, it, that was the business. Who? Luke 12. Right? We, we do that. But we do it because it's just taken for granted. And right? I've done it in the past. We have so much stuff. Right? And, and how many of you have stuff bins in your house? Nothing bad. I have them. I have them. I, how many have ever bought one of them Rubbermaid sheds from Lowe's to put your stuff bins in the back end? All right. How many of you, and uh, just be a little honest here. How many of you have like this stack of bins that you never look at? But every once in a while they get in the way so you have to move them all for further notice. 
right? To make up room for the new stuff bins. And then at a certain point in your house, you have nowhere for more stuff bins. And then you go to the original stuff bin and then we deal with this, right? You open it up. It's like maybe the kids, Shiloh's second grade homework assignment that we couldn't. And you're like, you open up the bin. How many have opened up the stuff bin? And you're like, oh, oh, look at Shiloh. She got an A. Oh. Anyone? And then what do you do? We can't get rid of it just yet. You know, and you look at another, and you're like, okay, I love my kids. You know what was the reality check? Because we have, we have a rubber a shed filled with the kids' keepsakes, right, from elementary school all the way to, because we thought they would want it. We thought we'd keep this for them. They're in their 20s. It's time. They're getting married. Shy, come over. Check your stuff. Oh, no, just get rid of it. <laughs> I'm charging you back rent. Could have been using that real estate in my backyard, right? It's so funny. I mean, but it's kind of how we were raised. I get it, you know, and, and it's sentimental, and I'm saying, you know, throw everything away. But we get latched on to stuff. And that latching, if it's tied to our identity, if it's tied to our esteem, if it's tied to our definition of success in our culture, it can be a source of great worry and anxiety, right? You've all heard the stories of people who have won the lottery and it ruined them, destroyed their life, right? And I've asked this question over years and years of, of uh, ministry and, it, and it's a heart issue. And cause you know, I know people who play the lottery, yada, yada. And I said, Hey, if God knows the dollar figure that will ruin your walk with him, your marriage, and your kids, do you trust God enough not to give it to you? Do you trust God enough to say, God, then I don't want it? If God knows the degree of affluence that will change and harden your heart to him and to the kingdom, are you willing to say, then God, please don't give it to me? I just want to live daily enjoying confidence in you. Amen? Right? That's why this is a heart issue. Because we are inundated in a debt-based economy that requires you to live in a discontent. That our economy is based on purchasing. Right? Our, our, our economy would come to a grinding halt if we just lived at the need level. Right? But commercials, social media, et cetera, et cetera, all tell us that it's no, you, you can't drive that car anymore. I know it still works, and I know it gets you from point A to point B, but you need a new one. Right? Planned obsolescence. We, we, our economy is based on creating discontent in us so that we will purchase things, mostly on credit, to keep the whole system going. Right? So if you're struggling with discontent and this need to acquire more and more and more, you may need to just honestly say, where am I getting this from? Where am I getting this sense that I need to purchase something more? I need to upgrade. You know, it's the whole, right, keeping up with the Joneses, remember that? That's still very prevalent. 
You know, now it's social media, right? And you look at all the people who travel and all the Instagram influencers, right? They're, they're on the boats and the planes and they always look happy and always well-dressed, right? And what does that do? Makes all of the normal Joes and Janes go like, oh, man, I'm a loser. I got to get, you know, I guess I got to. It's all predicated on discontent on, I need more, I need more, okay? So it's a heart issue, Matthew 16, 26. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? But what shall a man give in return for his soul? The rich fool, he was so focused on the temporal, he wasn't even considering eternal, okay? And as believers, we gotta keep, keep our mind stayed on the eternal, the big picture, perspective, Okay, First Timothy 6 says this. People who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Okay, now this is why we need each other. Because what may start out with the best of intentions to provide, to take care of. If you're not careful, you can go down a road and you need brothers and sisters around you to check you. Hey man, why are you doing that? Hey man, I notice you're kind of, your perspective, I notice you're, you're spending, you, where, what's driving that? That's why we need each other, okay? Mark 4, 18, where they, remember the parable of the seed that was sown? He says this, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful, right? And so again, priorities, sometimes we get caught up with wanting to do this and better ourselves and provide da 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 And you know what starts to take second, third, fourth, fifth place? The things of God. We don't have time to go to church. We don't have time to go to Bible study. We don't have time to meet. We don't even have time for quiet time anymore because I got to get up and I got to... The grind, right? The hustle culture that we live in. You got to get up and you got to hustle. You got to hustle. You got to hustle. And suddenly, God's nowhere to be found anymore. And what happened? You just got choked out. The stuff of the world. I love this quote. It says, in this passage, Jesus strikes at the tendency to center our lives around food and clothing, thus missing life's real meaning. This type of worry causes us to devote our finest energies to making sure we will have enough to live on. Then before we know it, our lives have passed and we have missed the central purpose for which we were made. God did not create us in his image with no higher destiny than that we should consume food. We are here to love, worship, and serve him and to represent his interests on earth. Our bodies are intended to be our servants, not our masters. But we live in a culture that's flipped that. Right? And so if we're going to move forward this week, maybe even today, biblically responding to where we just got to know where it's coming from. That's all. Just recognize it. Be careful. Be on guard. He says, be on guard. Okay? First Timothy 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Amen? You just got to come back to the basics. And sometimes we get so stirred up that we lose sight of the basics. And that's why 
I love Mark taking people across the border, what, five hours, six hours from here, and then another hour or two into Ensenada, because suddenly you're like, oh, yeah, contentment. And I've taken youth groups down there in the years past, and we were, we were always amazed at the joy that these people have, the joy. And then the humbling, one of the most humbling parts of that weekend when you build a home is that oftentimes the family who live at subsistence level, I don't know where they get the money, how they do it, but they will cook. They will prepare a meal for the team on site. And it is the most humbling thing that they want to serve us and bless us, the rich Americans who live in palaces. And, and sometimes that's the value of exposing yourself cross-culturally is you're like, oh my gosh, what I considered the basics. <laughs> Someone would consider extravagance to the nth degree, right? Even the size of the homes, right, Dennis? Right? We, 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 we wonder about the square footage in our house. And then you build, a, what's the dimensions, Mark, of the home? You build a 20 by 20 home for this family. And it's a literal Saddle Mountain mansion to them with furnishings and food brought from the local Walmart or whatever. And, and they are celebrating as if, you know. And that's good to be humbled like that. We need that because we get so discontent and so, oh, and then we worry and we're anxious. This is mine. What am I going to do? And no one's going to take it from me. When as believers, it's all God's. It's all God's, okay? I love this uh, definition of contentment. It's the acceptance of things as they are, as the wise and loving providence of a God who knows what is good for us, who so loves us as always to seek our good. Do you believe God is good? And all the time? Even at your lifestyle level. Sometimes we just gotta be content. And I'll share, I'll share how this even affects pastors. There's a, a book I received years ago when I was first starting in ministry. It's called um, Being Free from the Success Syndrome, right? And the success syndrome in ministry is how many people are coming, how big, attendance, budget, yada, yada. Success syndrome, where they, they brought in these metrics from the world, and a lot of pastors still operate with worldly metrics, the success syndrome. And fundamentally, Pastors have to choose at a certain point. You're either going to buy into that. And I was in a church, very corporate-run church, huge mega church, four or 5,000 people in Oceanside that was run this way. Okay, so outwardly very successful. Um, still unhealthy in many ways, just like corporate world. And then I was in another church, maybe the size of this, or just a little bigger, and there was a lot of joy and freedom because they weren't caught up in the success syndrome. Right? And at a certain point, Here's the thing, at a certain point, living in Ojai with this geographic boundaries and where we are, when we started the church, I just said like this, Lord, it's your church. We started with 15, 12, 15 in Cindy's living room. Then we went to the Wesleyan church where we were like 20 or 30 on Saturday nights for a bit. And then we went to Sunday mornings and we ended up here about three, four years ago. I still have to choose not to get caught up in the success syndrome with attendance around here. What I do is I choose to be faithful. The elders choose to be faithful, and we ask God to bring who he's going to bring for the giftings for his purpose at the well. Amen? 
We're content. We're content. We are not trying to be the biggest, baddest anything in the Ojai Valley. Right? So if you see that sticker out there, it says voted number one in Ventura County. No, it's not us. We, it's so, it's like so strange, right? Like, don't vote, right? Voted number one church. I'm like, how do you do that? And so we're not trying to be the biggest, baddest anything. We just want to be faithful and content. And when you're faithful and content, you know what? Then we take the time to get to know you. Because I've been in the mega churches. And what is the knock of the mega church? They don't know anybody. But when we as leadership celebrate you, because we prayed for you and that God would bring you, then we want to get to know you and love you and shepherd you because you matter. Because we are content and joyful with what God wants to do. If, you, if over time we have to go to another service, da, 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 then he'll, he'll deal with that. But we're not trying to be successful here. We've learned contentment, okay? So there's perspective. Next P is precious. Look at this question. Matthew 6, 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Are you precious? Are you precious? He kind of says it also about the lilies. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Precious. See, he's making an argument from the lesser to the greater. The birds and the lilies are the lesser. You, his children, are the greater. Amen? The question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that you are more valuable to father than the birds and the lilies. Now, some will say yes, and some are like, oh, oh, really? Part of your worry might be that you're not yet, for whatever reason, able to accept that you're valuable. You're valuable. Now, some will say, I'm unworthy. Yeah, we're all unworthy. We can't earn by works, right? God's grace. It's, it's by grace. But it doesn't mean you're not valuable. Don't get those confused. You are valuable. And how do I know you're valuable? Ernie, how do you know you're valuable? Thank you. He sent his son to die for you. How valuable are you there? If you've ever wondered about your value to God, there. Amen? The lesser to the greater. You are the greater. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're the greater. Go ahead. Come on. You're the greater. Yeah, you're the greater. <laughs> right? You're the greater. You're like, really? That's kind of cool. I mean, I was studying this and I was at Jody's house on uh, Friday. He got this little river thing and I was just watching the bird. Bird was taking a bird bath. He didn't even know I was watching. I was like, hey, check that out. That bird's getting a bath right now. Well, that's pretty darn cool. And I'm like, hey, I'm more valuable than that bird, right? And then we take a walk with Barry on the old Baldwin River bottom. We take a walk, and I'm walking around, and Barry's like, you see that? I'm like, it's a state flower. Like, he's like a walking tour guide of, like, nature. <laughs> he's like, you see that? And he's like, that's a California poppy. And I'm like, dude, that's it's pretty. And he goes, what is it called, the California poppy field, right? The golden poppy, and there's fields somewhere, right? You can go. You look at that, and you're like, wait, 
If God takes care of them and they, they shrivel up and they, they're gone, what about us? What about us? Okay. So there's perspective. You're precious. Okay. This next one's kind of, you know, this is, a, this is like a, in your face, pointless. Worry is pointless. Matthew 6, 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Now, with all the time management stuff out there, you're like, well, I could save time, right? And so some, some of you might be challenging that. Let me give you the other version of it, which is actually more accurate, some say. The New King James says, which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? You know what a cubit is? 18 inches. Which of you, by worrying, can add 18 inches to your height? Now, you might think that worrying and time management saves you hours. I can add hours. No. The point is, it's pointless. Everyone say pointless. It's pointless. Which of you, by worrying, can add 18 inches to your height? Would you want to be 18 inches taller? You would, huh? Like WNBA, you'd be there. Boom, right? 18 inches to your height. It's pointless. You can't. Just say pointless. Everyone say pointless. Okay. Some of you said that, but when you hear pointless, how many of you, when someone says you can't do something, you're like, oh, you, that's like double dog there, right? Oh, you shouldn't have said I can't because like, now I got to show you I can't, right? It's pointless. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a cubit to your, you can't. It's pointless. It's just pointless, okay? That's the other one. And then he shifts and he goes into a couple other P words. I'll just put priorities and provision. Matthew 6, 32. For the Gentile seeker after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. As far as provision, it says your heavenly father knows that you need them all. I want to say all. Your heavenly father knows you need what you need. He knows He knows that you need them all. He knows. Okay? And then he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So it goes back to, again, the heart issue. Am I living for self or am I living for the glory of God? Okay? Am Am I fulfilling the great commission to go make disciples or am I like trying to hoard and protect? Okay? It's a heart issue. And he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I've shared this with you before. Shai, can you hand me that uh, wheel thing? Oftentimes when you talk about priorities, right, priorities, we're raised to look at priorities linear. Like, here's this should be your top priority. You know, God, marriage, whatever, whatever. We have this list, one, two, three, four. And then many of us try to battle to keep number one, number one. And if we focus on work, then God drops. And we just, it's like this weird battle to keep our priorities right. Actually, when it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, what it says, when, when it says to love God with all your heart, to keep God number one, he's the hub of your life. This is what it means to have him priority. And your family and your job and your duh and your duh, duh, duh. They all come out of the hub. That's what it means. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all will be added to you. All your needs. Okay? So, so some of us, it's very liberating to stop trying to battle, to keep God number one. He should be the center. He should be the center. Because all of this matters to God. 
Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, okay? And so I know for some that that's very liberating and helpful to look at it that way. Okay, so when, you, when I get up in the morning, it's not just that God is number one, so he gets the first hour of my day. No, God is the center. So the purpose of my quiet time is to keep God the center for everything that's going to happen after. Okay, so because it, if it's before, you're like, okay, God's number one. I'm going to give him 30 minutes. Check. Number two is this. I'm, and all of a sudden, God gets left at number one, and you didn't even bring him into the rest of the day. Because he wasn't the center. He was just your number one thing that you have to check off. Very important distinction. You have a quiet time. You come to church. You go to Bible study. You read the word. You pray all to keep God the center. Amen? Because everything else goes like this off of him. And the Bible says, do that. All these things will be added to you. That's what it means to keep him first. Okay? Hebrews 13.5. Keep your life free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Are you content with God? Are you like content that this very moment you have a relationship with the living God? Like knock your sauce out like, dude, your name's written in the book of life. You're indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit right now. Is that like the basis of your contentment? Come on, like, come on. Worst case scenario, something happens on this planet and you leave the planet. Where are you? With father in heaven. Do you see how that, that's the base of contentment? That's the base of contentment. First Peter five, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Not only does he know what you need, he actually cares. He cares. And in that caring, he wants you to cast, which is like to throw a blanket over a donkey. He wants you to cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Isn't that cool? The God of the universe knows what you need and the God of the universe cares. Okay? And then finally, Matthew 6.34, the final P word is present, meaning present tense, be present. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Okay, having said all these P words, this one right now can be really challenging. Because we are wired to be forward looking. So just for a moment, just for a moment, here or if you're at home or wherever, if you're listening later in the week, take a deep breath. Are you good? Right now. I'm not saying your life is perfect. I'm not saying you ever, but right now, as you sit here at this very moment, are you good? I know things are waiting for you and da, 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 but at this very moment, are you good? Are you fine? Are your base needs being, (laughs) right? We're good. And he wants us to live that, carry this moment out into each day. Into each day, right? Ray Pritchard says, don't borrow trouble. There's plenty to be thinking about right now. So many people are frozen with fear over what might happen two or three months down the road. Listen, if God could create the world in seven days, he can surely handle your problems in June or July. 
Each day has enough trouble to keep you plenty busy. You take care of today and God will take care of tomorrow. Amen? Right? So many of us are missing the joy and the opportunities for the kingdom today because we're living tomorrow or two weeks or three weeks. Now, I'm not saying don't be responsible. It doesn't mean you don't plan, you don't prepare, be a good steward. That's not what this is saying. What it's saying is at the, at the very core of your being, live right now in the moment, right? Jesus, in the model prayer, what do you say? Matthew 6, 11, give us this day our daily bread. Whew. There have been times, you know, as a, as a husband, as a dad, five kids, I get, you know, I'll get all, oh, I got to think, I plan, what are we going to do in the future? And oftentimes, you know, it's my wife in her very simple way will calm me down. Because I'll go, and I'll churn, and I'll stay up late, and I'm figuring, and I'm calculating. And she will literally say, we're fine. But because I live in the future and try to prevent not being fine, right? I forget that we're fine right now. And because I'm living there and I'm concerned about not being fine, you know what happens? That I'm not fine. And then I make them not fine because I stir up the nest and she will literally say, we're fine. The kids are fine. And it has to, sometimes she has to jar me because I will live there. Right. And, and I've taken sort of like preparing and all this kind of stuff. And I, and I got morphed into worry, concern, strangling, and I'm missing the joy of my, my kids being fine, my wife being fine today. They're fine. Okay? So I'm going to guess that some of you, maybe today, you just needed to be reminded you're fine. Truly, we don't know what's going to happen in the next second. Do we? We assume we're going to get home at some point and put our head on our pillow and go to sleep. We don't know. But what we do know is right now, this group of people here and at home, we're fine. Actually, we're not even fine. We're blessed. Are we? We're blessed. Okay. Charles Spurgeon says, our anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, only empties today of its strength. Right? So what do we do? We can pray. Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when you leave here and something happens and you start to feel yourself going down the worry, anxiety route, what do you do? Pray. Bring it to God. He knows. He knows and he cares. Okay? Rely on his grace. Leave to, here's a quote. Leave tomorrow with God while seeking to please him today. When tomorrow comes, he will provide all needed grace for whatever problems we have to face. Today is ours to glorify him. Amen. Today. Today. Deep purpose. Glorify him. You're going to go have lunch somewhere after this? Glorify God. Say hi to the waiter, waitress. Go be a blessing. Just go be a blessing. Today. Today, right? Dwight Pentecost says this, you are your father's child 
and he assumes an obligation to take care of, take, take care, not only for your soul, but also for your body. He asks you to trust rather than to worry. God's antidote to worry, anxiety, love of material things is very simple. Trust the faithful God. God has yet to fail his children. Therefore, do not be so enslaved to material things that their love produces anxious care in your life. Rather, trust the loving father to do what he said he would do. And part of that, okay, church, you got to remember, part of this is being part of the body of Christ and asking for help when you need help and asking for prayer when you need prayer. What was the early church? Acts 2. They sold everything as everyone had need. It was an all for one, one for all. God's provision isn't necessarily just you. He has resources. He has resources. He owns it all. But sometimes in our worry and anxiety, what do we do? We isolate ourselves. We go down the rabbit hole and we don't even ask for help. We don't even make the need known. And that just exasperates the worry and anxiety because now it's the, you against the world and it's Atlas all over again. And he's kind of saying, hey, there's a thing called the church. Humble yourself. Ask for help. We all are there. We've been there. It's okay. Ask for help. Ask for counsel for the budget. Ask if you have a material need. Ask. This is how God provides. But we're in anxiety become a prison in bondage. And now we're afraid of what people will think about us. And that creates more worry and anxiety. I'm a failure. Now I'm anxious about people thinking I'm... <laughs> when all along God's like, just go ask. Just go ask. Okay? So don't let, don't let the cares of the world isolate you. Let the cares of the world bring you out this way. There's great freedom in that. There's great freedom in that. And again, how do we know we're valuable? How do we know we can bank on God? Well, Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So earlier it was the lesser to the greater, the birds and the flowers to you. This argument is greater to our lesser needs. If he's given us the greatest gift, the thing that we needed the most, salvation, how is he not going to take care of our daily needs? It's the greater to the lesser. Okay? I love this. Put it back up, buddy. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give you, his children, all that you need? Right? And think about it. He gave Jesus when we were at our worst. We didn't even deserve it. Right? Close with this, Ray Stedman. He who has already given us the best, the greatest, the dearest, the most precious thing he has, and who did so while we were sinners, while we were enemies, while we were helpless, will he not also give us some of these trivial, piddling little things that we need? If someone thinks enough of you to give you a costly, brilliant, beautiful, flawless diamond, do you think he will object when you ask him for the box that goes with it? And if God has given us his own son already, do you really think God is going to withhold anything else that we need? Paul's argument is unanswerable. Of course he won't. We can say with David in the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Amen. So Father, thank you.
Thank you. Yet you have equipped us, the Holy Spirit and your word, your truth, to not worry, to not be strangled with the cares of the world, but rather to have perspective, rather to know that we are precious, Lord, rather to know that, that and it's pointless, but we can choose our priorities. We can choose to trust in your provision. And Lord, we can choose to live present tense right now. We're good. We're blessed. We are children of God, citizens of heaven. Our name is written in the book of life. We are saved. We are saved. So Father, thank you for this reminder. And Lord, for your church, whether it's here or there at home, Lord, now just speak to us in the power of your Holy Spirit that when we leave here, we will leave knowing supernaturally we can walk on worry. The storms and the waves of life will happen, but we don't have to sink. We'll stay focused on you. We'll trust that you know and you care and you are able. And Father, I pray for those that maybe don't have that relationship. Jesus said, you know, there's a group out there, the Gentiles, they seek after all these things. They don't know you in a personal way, Father. So they're caught up in the world. They're caught up in material things. They're caught up in everything except you. And Father, my prayer is for that person or those people this morning who are listening, that your first step would be to come to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father through faith in Jesus. Maybe it's made more sense to you this morning because of the difference in how believers are equipped to handle the trials of life versus non-believers. Maybe this morning you recognize how much God loves you because he sent Jesus to die for you on the front end here. And so if you're at that place, you can pray this prayer quietness of your heart between you and God say dear God I recognize today that I need a savior and it's Jesus dear God I believe that you sent Jesus to be the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and and in the best way I know how I'm trusting and I'm putting my faith in Jesus that he was crucified he died he rose again I know I can't earn it so father I rest in your grace Please forgive me for my sins. I want to be born again into your family. I believe in Jesus. Thank you. So as we uh, move into April, I just want to um, put some thoughts in your mind about wonderful events coming up. Put it on your calendar. Uh, Good Friday. We mentioned it last Sunday. We, uh, as a church, the Church of the Ojai Valley, we're gathering at Libby Bowl for Good Friday service. How many of you have ever had a chance to join us out there? Okay. Uh, you know, because of the pandemic, uh, you know, that was put on hold for a couple of years. If you haven't, uh, there's, a, there's a couple, two main sort of themes, hearts for us as the pastors. Several churches, the pastors met a couple of weeks ago and we're excited about it. Uh, two words come to mind for the Good Friday service. Not, not only just celebrating, you know, what it signifies biblically and what Jesus did for us, but is the church of the Ojai Valley, there's unity and there's testimony, okay? And there is something special that happens when the church of the Ojai Valley gathers. 
at Libby Bowl for Good Friday. So I want to encourage you, you know, it's, I know it's Friday and maybe, you know, you have to rearrange your schedule, but if you can make it, uh, it is going to be a wonderful gathering of the Church of Ojai Valley as we celebrate uh, Good Friday and what that means for us, okay? Uh, traditionally, in years past, our church, The Well, we have uh, participated in setting up communion, and we are going to do that again. So if you would like to actively participate, you can talk to Pastor Tyler. What does that require? You get there early. We set up tables. We're going to set up the little cups and, you know, all of that. Uh, also, during communion, sometimes people can't make it down to the front to pick it up, so they'll raise their hand, and we'll have runners and bring it up to them. So lots of ways to participate if you want to um, volunteer. Help us with that, okay? Uh, and then two days later, what happens? Easter, right? Resurrection Sunday. So we're going to have, again, a wonderful Easter egg celebration. It's not just for the kids. We want to invite the whole church family. We did this uh, a while back, and we open up the patio. We'll have refreshments out there. We encourage all the entire church family just to come on out. Uh, I think they mentioned we're going to have a huge jolly jump out there for the kids. And uh, just an opportunity, again, for us to unite and celebrate the resurrection, but also it's a testimony, to the community that's going by, that there is life here, that there's joy in Jesus, and that uh, many people still celebrate the resurrection. Amen? Okay, so we're going to do that. If you'd like to donate and actively participate and bless the kids here, uh, Kim is, uh, you know, open to what they call pre-filled uh, egg donations. You know, I grew up and they were like the empty plastics, right? How many remember the empty plastics? How many ever got money? Yeah, right? Versus the chocolate, right? So it's funny, years, uh, just uh, not too long ago, we went down to San Diego, you know, and my, my brother and sisters, we're all grown up, but we still do an Easter egg hunt. And we still wait for, for mom to fill it with the quarters and the dollars. And so we're still wrestling. Uh, but we would like, if you would like to participate, there's pre-filled eggs that you can purchase and uh, donate them to Kingdom Kids. Okay. And then uh, finally, we don't have a Spanish service. But, you know, we are called to make disciples uh, wherever we go. And uh, we know that there's a significant uh, Spanish-speaking population in the Ojai Valley. And so what we have done on our webpage is we have a Spanish resource page now. Okay, so you go to uh, web, the homepage, you go on resources, you'll see, you'll see it there. And then if you click on that, it's really cool. Uh, there's a link to a Spanish Bible. Okay. There's also a link to, if you know the website, gotquestions.org. They have an entire Spanish section. So if, you, if someone speaks Spanish and they have questions about God and the Bible, they can do that. And then there's also a link on there to uh, Spanish uh, videos by the Bible Project. So just another tool uh, for us to get God's word out into the valley. And wouldn't it be cool if people came to know Jesus because they went through a Spanish resource page on our website, right? Okay, so I just want to encourage you, uh, put that out there. Just put that out there and invite people at their leisure to, to go check it out.